Well, good morning again, church. It's good to sing in worship and pray, and now we come to God's word to hear from Jesus together. So we continue this morning going through Philippians, and as you just heard in the scripture reading and in the prayer there, here we are coming finally to another famous passage in this book. Because as you just heard here in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, we have Paul explaining famously how he presses on. And as Christians, we have love to take this idea for ourselves. We press on. But before we look at exactly what that means, understanding the context of where we are whenever we're reading the Bible matters a lot. But especially here, at this place in Philippians, this idea of pressing on, it matters a lot. And so, quickly, let's remember the context of where we are here in Philippians 3. So if you remember, we've been in chapter 3 for a few weeks now, and what we've primarily been seeing in chapter 3 is the gospel. The gospel about how Jesus is better than anything we are, anything we've done. And last week in verse 9, we saw the gospel about how we are right, declared right in God's courtroom because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything in us. So that's been our main focus in chapter 3, the gospel. And last week, we ended with one of our applications on all this being that we need to know with crystal clarity, and this is why I'm going to repeat it, we need to know that all of this on the gospel means that technically, the gospel, the good news of Christianity, the center of our faith, technically, the gospel literally includes nothing about our living. Nothing. Yes, as we said last week, this is important, believing the gospel will result in a changed life for the glory of God, absolutely. But technically, and importantly, the good news is news of what Jesus Christ did, full stop. We either trust him or we don't, but the news is news of what Jesus Christ has already done. And so that's the context here as we transition now to a new paragraph in Philippians 3 this morning. And I say all that because now we can properly put this idea of pressing on in its right place. Because as we'll see, this idea of pressing on is the main idea in this paragraph. Paul's explaining what it means and what it looks like to press on. But we also need to see with this context in mind is that this pressing on is clearly a result of already being saved. Right? The first half of chapter 3 happens. We're saved in the gospel by Jesus' by Jesus's work and we're counted right and we count him as better and so we are those who press on. And I know that might sound repetitive or simple, but right away, even before we get into our outline of we're going to go through our text this morning, this might be really important for some of us in this room to get. Because we're going to be talking a lot about pressing on and Christian living this morning. But again, we each need to understand this is a result, a result of already knowing Jesus. Yes, our Christian lives really matter because we're saved in order to live holy lives for the glory of God, but this is a result of already being saved. Or to connect it to what we were talking about last week, we need to understand at the outset this morning that none of our pressing on has any influence on why God would count us right or righteous 
in his courtroom. Because you said last week, that's only because of the finished final work of Jesus Christ alone, not because of any of our pressing on. So that's the context of where we are here in Philippians 3. But now with that said, here's a roadmap, an outline of how we're going to go through our passage this morning. So we'll split up this paragraph by asking three questions. So three sections and three questions. And they're pretty simple. First, we're going to ask, well, what does the Bible actually mean when it says that we Christians press on? That would be our quickest section. Then second, we'll ask, okay, if that's true, then what are we pressing on toward? And then third, we'll ask, and how do we do this? And it's this last question that I hope will be practical, because in this last section, we'll see three specific takeaways from Paul about how each of us can press on better. So that's our outline. Very simple. First, what does it mean we press on? Second, what are we pressing on toward? And then third and finally, how do we do it? But with that said, let's begin our first question this morning, church. What does the Bible mean? We've heard this before. What does the Bible mean when it says that we press on? And again, this will be our quickest section. So as you can see in our paragraph, though, Paul uses the word press on twice. You can see it there in verse 12, I press on to make it my own. And then again in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. And we might love that phrase, but the question is, but what is the word, what does the phrase actually mean? And in English, the verb press on carries the idea of going forward, right, no matter what. And that can be a good explanation of what's being said here, especially because Paul says in verse 13 that part of his pressing on is forgetting what lies behind and just straining forward to whatever lies ahead. And so to press on certainly includes this keep on keeping on, the going forward no matter what attitude, the idea of persevering. But also, and this is quite interesting, the verb that Paul uses here twice in this paragraph for to press on is actually the same exact Greek word for to persecute. To persecute. And at first, that might sound strange to us. But the reason for this is because this is a semi-common Greek word back then that literally just meant to pursue. To pursue. And that's why it can mean something like to press on and pursue, or it can mean something like to persecute, to pursue someone. Because the idea in this word is an intense pursuit. Or literally, the most popular Greek lexicon or dictionary defines the word as, quote, to move rapidly and decisively toward an object. And this is especially significant when we look at the fact that Paul actually already used this word once in chapter 3 already. And for this, look back with me quickly on the same page probably in Philippians 3.6. Philippians 3.6. So we covered this a few weeks ago, and if you remember, this is where Paul is lift, listing all the things he used to put his confidence in before he knew Christ. But what's the first thing he lists in verse 6? Quote, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And that's the same word in our paragraph that's translated press on. And so without a doubt, this is intentional by Paul. Because although it's been weeks for us, it was only a handful of sentences ago where he used the same word to describe his persecuting, his pursuing and killing of people in the church. But now he wants us to see, after he's come to know Christ in the gospel, 
he presses on and now has a different decisive pursuit. And so in basic then, that's what the word press on means. Yes, it involves keeping on and straining forward, but fundamentally, the word that our Bibles uses here just means to intensely pursue. And again, connecting this to verse 6, Paul's making the point that he used to have different pursuits before Christ, like really just trying to obey the best he could and even killing Christians, but now after knowing Christ, he has a different pursuit. Which will lead us in our next section to ask, well, what is this pursuit? What are we pressing on toward? Before we even ask that, there's a simple application here for us as well. Because if this is what the Bible means by pressing on, it means that we once had certain pursuits, but now we have a different pursuit. The application for us is this is how we can now define our Christian lives as well. Because as we've been seeing in chapter 3, especially right verses 7 and 8, we know that when we find Christ, we know now that what happens is we see the surpassing worth of Jesus. We know that Jesus Christ is better. But now the Bible is also saying to us that what also comes along with being a Christian is this pressing on. Meaning now you have a new pursuit, a new purpose to your life, a new direction, a new goal that you're striving for. Which leads us now, fittingly, into our second question. So we asked, what does it mean that we press on? It just means we pursue. Now the question is, well, what are we pressing on toward? Or what are we pursuing? And for this, we'll be in verses 12 through 14, but we'll begin just in verse 12. So look down at your Bibles, church. We're just going to read verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so Paul says, I press on to make it my own. And by it, he's talking about what he just ended talking about in verse 11, right? The resurrection from the dead. You can see that. And if that's confusing why he's pressing on toward that or pursuing that, think of it this way. So in Paul's day... And you can see this in other letters of his, like in First and Second Thessalonians. In his day, there were these ideas that perhaps Jesus maybe had already returned secretly. Or perhaps some people maybe have already been resurrected from the dead like Jesus. Or perhaps some people, especially maybe the apostles, some people were already made perfect by Jesus. But notice Paul's point in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. Meaning he has not obtained perfection or been raised from the dead. But what does he do? He pursues it. And seeks to make it his own. Meaning this is now his personal, his own personal pursuit. To run the race that ends at the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul's living his life and he's, and he's looking at his future, which involves being resurrected from the dead and perfectly living with Jesus Christ forever. And he's saying, I'm pursuing that. Now, this doesn't mean that he thinks he needs to earn that or anything. Right? That'd be against the gospel. Instead, it means that his focus now as he lives as a Christian is that future. He has this eternal perspective, as we like to say, in mind, or even properly put, this resurrection of the body perspective. 
He's pressing on. He's running toward that day. That day when he says even more clearly, as you might know, in 1 Corinthians 15, the day when, quote, we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And so that's what he's pressing on toward. And so that's what we should press on toward too. Because the Bible's saying here for us Christians, we are people who are to press on, who are to pursue the reality of the resurrection from the dead that's going to happen. We believe this whenever Jesus Christ comes back. And we pursue that reality in a way that we make it our own. And so in practice then, this means that we live our lives in a way where our secured, promised future starts to impact our present. Where we realize that this is the future that we're going to have. Where we are one day going to be living with the perfect Jesus, perfected ourselves in resurrected bodies, and it's letting that fuel us how we live now. Living in a way that reflects that future and pursuing that now. So that's what we press on in verse 12 toward. But now let's continue and see what Paul pursues in verses 13 and 14. Look down your Bibles and read them now. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so here we see that when Paul is using this idea of press on or pursue, he's specifically thinking of a race, a race. And we see this because he says we press on in verse 14 toward the goal for the prize, both of which are athletic race words. And as we know, we see this idea of running the race in his other letters as well. And in terms then of what we're pressing on toward here, it's very clear that in verse 14, the first half, we're running toward the goal. Or the finish line, aiming at the prize. Paul's saying, I pursue the goal in order that I may get the prize. But the question here then that isn't so easy to answer is, but what is the prize? What is the prize? And I say this isn't easy to answer because you can see it for yourself. In verse 14, what Paul says after the word the prize there, it sounds kind of confusing. The ESV has it, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> and the ESV honestly does a really good job here not interpreting anything for us, which is why I think it's a really good translation. Instead of interpreting it, that's just exactly how it's written by Paul in the original language. So that's what Paul says, but the question is, what does it mean? Well, really, our question for us is, what is the prize that we are pursuing? Well, to be honest, this has been debated by Bible interpreters for sure. But when you boil it down, there's two major options. So you look there in verse 14, there's two major options of what our prize is. And I'll just say at the outset that I think, and I'll show you why, the second one is the correct one. But as for the first one, we can read this idea of prize being in itself that the prize is, quote, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this view takes the first of there in verse 14, the prize of, to mean which is. I press on toward the goal for the prize, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
So if you're tracking in this way, this would mean that we're all running a race. And we're all trying to get the goal, go to the goal so we can get the prize. The prize, which is God calling us upward to heaven. And right away, that might make a lot of sense to us. But here's the big issue with that. Paul never uses the word call like that in his letters. It's something which in the future is going to bring us up to heaven. We might use the word like that these days, saying like someone was called home to Jesus, which is fine. But for Paul in the Bible, whenever he talks about the call of God or being called, he's talking about someone sovereignly being called by God into salvation in their past. And you may know that from your Bible reading, right? When Paul writes about God's call or when he says Christians are called or that God calls people, he almost always is talking about God sovereignly calling people into Christ and salvation. And so for Paul to then say that the prize that we're looking for is God calling us up to heaven in the future is not something he teaches anywhere else. Yes, he definitely teaches that when we go to heaven, or when we die, we go to heaven and be with Jesus. But to say that that's our ultimate prize or our goal or our call isn't like him. So the question is, well, what's the other way? What's the second way to understand what Paul's saying here? What's the prize that we are pursuing? Well, in this option, if you look at verse 14, we can read the prize as something which belongs to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Meaning there's this upward call of God, this heavenly calling of God where he calls individual people into salvation in Christ and the prize belongs to that call. It's the prize of that call. And this way we read verse 14 like this. I press on toward the goal to get the prize, the prize which belongs to those who are called by God in salvation. I know it's a lot, but in this way, and this is why this, I think, all matters, this way, this means that the prize that we're pursuing, church, isn't just being called up and snatched up by God to go to heaven in the future. And it makes sense that this isn't our ultimate prize. (laughs) Because I hope we'd all agree now at this point in Philippians that our final prize at the end of the race isn't just going up to this place called heaven. That's far too small of a prize. (laughs) And as we saw in verse 11, which is where Paul left off, that sort of prize isn't in his mind either because his mind is focused on the resurrection from the dead. And so the question is, what is the prize? What is the prize that belongs to our call? Well, in the context, putting this all together, the thing that fits the prize best is the prize is ultimately knowing and gaining more of Jesus in resurrected bodies forever. And that is very much like the Apostle Paul, to say that our prize, what's going to happen at the end of the race, our prize is going to be resurrected on a renewed earth and knowing Jesus Christ together forever. That's our goal. That's our prize. And so that's what the Bible's saying here in these verses. In answer to our second question, what are we pursuing? What are we pressing on toward? First, we're pressing on, we're pursuing the resurrection from the dead. Meaning we live in a way where that future impacts our present. Because brothers and sisters, that is going to happen someday soon, whenever Jesus comes back. 
And so let's let that reality impact how we live today. But then second, what else do we pursue? What are we pressing on toward? We pursue the goal of finishing the race where we'll finally get the prize. And what's the prize? Knowing more of and being with Jesus forever together in resurrected bodies. Which brings us to our third and final section. So we've covered what pressing on means. We've seen what we're pressing on toward. But now for our third question, we'll ask, but how do we do it? And as I said earlier, I hope this will be more practical. Because in answer to this question, we're going to see Paul give three ways in this paragraph that will help, I hope, each of us press on better. And to see these, we're going to start in verses 15 and 16 to see the first way, and then we'll make our way back up the paragraph to see the other two. So how do we press on? To begin, let's read how Paul ends the paragraph in verses 15 and 16. If you're going to look down at your Bibles. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So you probably feel it yourself. This is kind of a strange ending to this paragraph. Because Paul's been talking about pressing on and our calling as Christians and striving towards Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about the importance of thinking this way. He commands those of us who are mature to think this way. And then he says that if you don't think this way, God will reveal it to you in time. And finally, in verse 16, he talks about how each of us should hold true to whatever though we have already attained. And that may sound strange, but the upshot of all this for us is that this means that the first way for us practically, church, to press on is to strive to humbly think more like this to humbly think more like this. And I know, right, at first that doesn't sound practical, probably, nor maybe particularly powerful, but I think we have really good reason from the Bible to know that this is both practical and powerful. Because have you ever noticed how important thinking is in the Bible? Or specifically, have you ever noticed how important thinking correctly, meaning having the right doctrine and theology, understanding who God actually is and who we are is in the Bible? I know for a lot of us modern Christians, especially honestly in the last 75 years or so in evangelicalism, we we are prone to do less thinking and studying in our day-to-day Christianity than a lot of our predecessors. And especially in our practical Christianity, we often subtly think, let's be honest with ourselves, we subtly think that out of everything, thinking just really isn't that important. Right? Right? Doing, we think, is really important. Loving is really important. But we think thinking is less important. But the Bible is clear. How we think really matters. And not only that, but if you want to follow Christ more, the Bible is clear that we shouldn't just or even mainly focus on just specific applications to do or emotions to feel, but we must also focus on how we think, how we use or misuse the brains that God has given us. And the reason for this is because in the Bible, how we think, what we know what we believe, how we renew our minds, as Paul will write elsewhere in Romans, how we think has a direct impact on everything else about us. 
And this is because as, we, as, we, as, as much as we want to think that we can just do whatever or feel whatever, in reality, we're all walking around thinkers. <laughs> and how we think, what goes on in our brains, our thoughts about ourselves or our God or theology or thoughts about Jesus or the gospel or the Bible or others, all of that really impacts who we are <laughs> and how we live. And so I know at first this practical application by, of pressing on by thinking might not seem like something you'd really want to focus on. But I do encourage us, church, practically to each consider how we can really think better. Also that our pressing on will be better. And on this topic, if this does interest you, I'd even recommend a book by John Piper. I usually don't do this, but I do this because this book is exactly on this topic. The title is Think... The Life of the Mind and the Love of God. It's a really unique book because you don't see this much. But in this book, he explains what we're talking about here in just five minutes about how, how we think really impacts us. So I do encourage you to get this if you're interested. But you see it for yourself. Paul talks about pressing on and then he transitions to thinking. So for him, they are connected. And so they're connected for us too. And so again, church, let's be people who go and cultivate how we think. So go and, and read and spend the time to, to study good Christian books. I really encourage you to take some time, podcasts in the car, when you're washing the dishes, when you're, you're running, whatever you're doing, to listen to some good Christian teachings, podcasts outside of just Sunday. And above all, take some time to really study the Bible. Not mainly or only looking for applications, but just to think over God's word to learn who he is, to learn theology, and to renew our minds. And to be clear, all this is not so that we can just be smart, impressive, knowledgeable people. Not at all. Instead, again, it's because how we think really impacts us. And in this way, how we think can really lead us to press on and glorify Jesus more. One last thing on this. Practically, I did say a minute ago that the takeaway here isn't just to think more, but it's to humbly think more like this. And I say that because you might have noticed, it's interesting, in verse 15, Paul commands us to think this way, but then he's clear that if somebody doesn't think this way, he has confidence, this amazing confidence that the Lord revealed to them in his time. And so that should be us as well. We should study and think according to God's word. I mean, really pursue renewing your mind. You'll be amazed how studying and reading and thinking impacts your heart and your life. But as we do so, like Paul, we must do this humbly. Because Paul's belief in the Bible teaches there that God is sovereign even over what people think. And so we don't lower our thoughts over other people in arrogance. Instead, for ourselves and others, we trust our God even in our thinking. So that's our first practical way to press on better. We think more. But that leads us to the second practical way we press on in our paragraph. And for this, we're going to go up our paragraph again and read verses 13 and 14 again. So if you look down your Bibles, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here you can see probably the most obvious way we press on practically in our whole paragraph. Because here, verse 13, pressing on includes, quote, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
And this in itself, I hope, is really practical because this is something each of us can do daily in our Christian lives. Because think about what the Bible's saying here. First, when we press on, we forget what lies behind. And in the Bible, as you might know, to forget or remember something doesn't just refer to remembering or not remembering facts. It's not what those words originally only meant. Of course, it can include something like that. But think about the Old Testament, where you might know that God many times says statements like, I will not forget my covenant with you, or I will remember you. We may read statements like that and kind of be weirded out because we think, of course you won't forget. <laughs> of course you won't remember. You're God after all. But that wasn't the point of those passages. Instead, in the Bible, to forget something is to let it have no effect on your present, while to remember something is to let it have an effect, to keep it in the front of your mind and let it affect you, which is why God says that he'll remember us. And so taking that into consideration, especially as Paul himself was a Jew who loved the Old Testament, we can see that to forget what lies behind isn't mainly talking about somehow just having amnesia about your past. That's not the point. We didn't even see that in Paul's life. He knew exactly his past. and said, Paul is saying that part of our pressing on is looking at the past and forgetting it. Meaning, not letting it have a destructive effect in our present and in our future. And to be clear, we can do this, church, not because the past just automatically counts for nothing. Just because it's in the past. Because that's not the case. And on this, I love a quote from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, where he says this, We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin, but mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. And he's right. Time doesn't cancel sin. Or to say it using the language of Philippians 3 here, just because something happened a long time ago does not mean that we can just forget about it. And so the question we have is, well, how can we then genuinely forget what lies behind? How can we forget the past and not let it have any effect on us? Well, the answer is because of the gospel. Or C.S. Lewis continues in his quote, so he says, but mere time does nothing, either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. And then he adds this, quote, the guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. And that's exactly right. We can press on forgetting what lies behind only because of the gospel. The gospel that we covered last week. The gospel which says that our past sins are genuinely covered, paid for, forgotten in this sense by God. And so we can forget them. All because they were really paid for by Jesus Christ. And so they are gone once and for all. And so practically for us, we can and should actively seek to forget the things in our past that we are so tempted to think disqualify us, which nag at us, which slow us down at running this race because the truth is the past really cannot stop us. And again, the reason for that is not because we just have this new inspiration or self-esteem 
nor is the reason because just time cancels all sins, not at all. The reason is because if you trust in Jesus Christ, your past truly is totally covered by his cross and resurrection. And so here in verse 13, practically we first forget what lies behind, but then coupled with that, you see we also strain forward to what lies ahead. And that's practical too, because as human beings, we're not only helped by not letting the past influence our lives, but we're also helped by having a new focus, a new goal. And that's what the Bible's saying here. Practically, we press on when we forget what lies behind, meaning we strive not to let the past influence us because it has been paid for and covered by Jesus. And then two, we direct our gaze forward to what we know lies ahead to the resurrection of the body and being with Jesus here perfected forever and the prize of Jesus himself. And so practically, church, let's be people who do this as well. Forget the past, strain forward to the future. And so ask yourselves right now, what sort of things in my past slow me down and hinder me from pressing on towards Christ? And then... Whatever the answer to that is, take those things and lay them at the foot of the cross. Because if you trust in Jesus, they are totally forgiven. And knowing that they are forgiven, that they are covered, we can now each get up and press on more towards Jesus. That finally leads us to the last practical thing for us here in our paragraph. And for this, we'll read once again, finally, verse 12. So look down at your Bible. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we save this for last because this is beautiful and I hope really helpful. And personally for myself, since I've become a stronger Christian out of everything we've said in this, this whole sermon, this whole text, what Paul said right there has had the biggest impact on my life. And this is the third and practical way we press on. And how is it? Well, we press on by recognizing that the only reason we do so is because Jesus has already taken hold of us. And again, I know that might not sound that practical, but I really think it is. It has been for my life because notice Paul's logic. Verse 12, he presses on to make it his own, but how? Why? Quote, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, what fuels and enables him and us to press on is this fact, this truth that he believes deep in his bones. Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's a beautiful way of putting it. How can we press on? Why can we press on? Well, it's not because we need to now do whatever we can to keep Jesus on our side. It's not because we just have to. It's not because Jesus has saved us and now we're on our own to live our Christian lives. Instead, we press on because Jesus has made us his. And notice the personal quality of it. He didn't need to write it this way, but he says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, I am Jesus's. I belong to him. And that fuels me to press on. And that's beautiful in itself, but honestly, maybe an even more literal translation of it, and this is uh, even stronger and perhaps even more encouraging, because Paul literally, if you want to translate it, most literally would say this, I press on because I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. 
That's most literally what it says. I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I say that because that then is really the picture here. Because remember, this paragraph is, is a picture as a whole. And we've been saying the pictures of us who are saved, who are called by God, now running a race. And in this race, we're pursuing the finish line, the goal where we'll get the prize. And the prize is knowing Jesus more forever in resurrected bodies. And so that's the picture, us being saved, running the race. But now we see that if we stop there in our picture, we're missing a huge part of it. Because it's not just us running the race. And instead, Paul right away in verse 12 made it clear, I was laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. In other words, we're not running this race alone. Instead, we're doing all of this because and only because we were, quote, laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Because Jesus himself took us, grabbed us, is holding us, is guiding us, even as we run our race. And so that's the picture. And practically then, this means for us who are Christians, the final answer this morning to how we press on better means by really realizing and really believing deep in our bones that in all of our pressing on, church, everything we've talked about, straining towards the future and the resurrection from the dead, striving to think better for God's glory, forgetting about the past, straining toward the future, in all of that, we know we are truly held by Jesus Christ. He's with us, for us, holding us, guiding us. He's made us his own. So that's our text. In summary, quickly, first, we as saved Christians are called to press on. And yes, that idea does include grinding and persevering, but it mainly means decisively pursuing. And so second, what are we pursuing? What are we pressing on toward? We're pressing on toward the future resurrection from the dead and being with the prize of Jesus himself. And then third and finally, I encourage you to make these practical. How do we do it? First, we strive to think more. So one last time, brothers and sisters, I really encourage each of us to not bypass the biblical power of good studying and thinking. Second, we press on by forgetting what lies behind, straining toward the future. And third, we press on all because we know that Jesus has taken hold of us. And so church, let's be like this. Let us at ECC be people who pursue Jesus Christ, who forget what lies behind, strain towards our glorious future. But again, as we do so, Let's always continue to keep in mind the gospel. That it's the finished work of Christ, and because of him, we are his. We are saved through him alone. And as a result, he has laid hold of us because it's knowing and believing and loving that that will allow us, no matter what, to press on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.